so the more you get to know me, I'm happy wherever I am with whatever I'm doing. I'm a firm believer in God leads me to whatever his next plan is for me. Welcome to Creating Community with Dorian and Jake, a podcast designed to bring area leaders, business owners, and other interesting people together to better our community. I'm your co-host, Jake Starkey. And I'm your other co-host, Dorian Strickland. We're the owners of 1820 Coffee House and 1820 Marketing in the heart of Alvin, Texas. Today, we're recording from Heights Baptist Church. For more information about them, visit heightschurch.org. And thank you very much to them for letting us come in and record. If you're a first-time listener, we encourage you to subscribe to hear more. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is available wherever you get your podcast or at 1820marketing.com slash podcast. We would love for you to subscribe to stay up to date with us and the community. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, we'd love to talk to you about it. Our goal is to reach our community and let them know about great leaders and businesses that are helping to make it better. If you want to be a part of that, please email us at info at 1820marketing.com to start the conversation. In this episode, we are talking with Carol Nelson. She is the superintendent of the Alvin Independent School District, one of the largest and fastest growing school districts in Texas. We're excited to have you on the show. Thank you. Yeah, welcome for sure. So did you grow up in this area? Well, I grew up in the area, not in Alvin per se, but uh, born in Galveston. I'm a BOI, born at St. Mary's in Galveston. All right. Uh, Both my parents were born there. I'm one of four siblings, so we were all born in Galveston, a lot of relatives there. Um, And then when I was about five or six, we moved to a place called Altaloma. Not everyone knows everyone. You're kind of looking at Altaloma, you know, where there's... Altaloma, Arcadia, Algoa, yeah. Alvin, Arcola, all the A-towns. Well, yeah. we were the first one, the Altaloma. Really? Okay. Oh, wow. So um, grew up out in the country there and, and went to school right down the street in Santa Fe. And so um, I always say that when I met my husband and married him, I married Alvin. So <laughs> we were here to stay. He, he was determined we were going to raise our family here. And I'm so blessed and glad that we did. Yeah. Right. been a wonderful experience. Okay, and so you moved to Alvin after you got married. Yes. You have three children, is yes, that right? Yes, three children. Tell us a little bit about them. So they're all adults now, but um, I always joke about they're still on the payroll in some form or fashion. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. No, I'm very proud of them. All three of them are, are graduates of Alvin ISD. They all went to Alvin High School. Uh, Emily, my oldest, is a resident, chief resident at Texas A&M Physicians. Wow. Um, So she went to medical school, and she's a practicing doctor now. And um, she's not married yet, but um, then I have Robert, and that's my son, Rob. He also graduated from Alvin High School, went to UT, graduated, and is at UT Dental School, and he graduates in in another week from dental school, going on to orthodontic school, and he is married. Okay. And then my youngest, Katie, she went. She was a UT graduate as well, and then went to Texas. She jumped, right? <laughs> went to oh, A&M. Texas A&M Vet School. <laughs> right. So she just completed her second year there. So Okay. She's excited yeah. about that, I presume? Very excited. Wow. Very so cool. It's got to be tough going from UT to A&M. She said it was a pretty easy transition. Okay. You know, okay. No one keyed her car up or anything with the Longhorn on it. Fantastic. No, she, like, she actually just got her Aggie ring as well. So she has oh, now has both rings. ceremony. So. Yeah, very exciting. <laughs> you can only yeah, imagine that's... what that is to have one on each hand. Just, right. you know, depending on who you talk to, you can switch the rings out. The, the inner turmoil. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, oh, it's wow. great. Yeah. And so how long have you been with Alvin ISD? 
So I started in 1987. So that doesn't all add up, right? It seems like I'd have been here 30-something years. Yeah, that's like 25 years, right? Um, Right. So I taught for six years. Well, I taught two years prior to Alvin before I got married. Okay. And then I moved to Alvin when we got married and um, started teaching in 1989 in Alvin at Mark Twain Elementary School. Okay. And so I taught for six years and then started having my own children and decided I wanted to stay home for a little while with them. And stayed home about seven years. And during that time, I taught out at ACC. I taught in the child development uh, classes, not in the lab school, but actually uh, people who wanted to go into education. I taught there, and then they transferred to like U of H. And that was with Sandy Horine and Joan Rossano at the time. Okay. And then um, after about seven years, I came back, and I had worked on my master's as well. And that's when I came back and, and taught and then was a librarian. Nice. And then I had a principal that said, hey, you need to go into administration. I said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and she kept on. And so then I went back to school. This was all before you could do online. I mean, it was yeah. oh, sure. time, face oh, to face. Right, right. So you were going, you were teaching and yes. being a mom and yep. going back to school. Yep. Yes. And I, wow, that's a lot. to. It, it was. Then, I mean, without my husband, I couldn't have done it right. I mean, he's yeah. he is my supporter still. I couldn't do what I do without him. So. Fantastic, and, and so in all that time, so I went to Stevenson, Walt Disney, Harvey, because mm-hmm. when you talked about renovating it, yes. and right, it's the only one with two stories. It's also the only one with a ghost. So, that's <laughs> a nice machine. And I live, I live behind, I live behind Harvey, and I've never seen the ghost. Yeah, I worked there for years. I never saw it, but right. I heard noises. But I always said it was the ice machine. It's also it was a rather old building too. So well, yeah, I, I, I think know. we should get Bell Sanchez and we should ask her oh, what her there opinion you go. is. She was my teacher at. At Arby's. She'd like to point at that out. She'd go anywhere. Every time. It's that and, hey, don't forget to mention you're with ACC. Yeah, exactly. ACC. That's my teacher. There you go. Right. Um, So I can say from my perspective as a student, but as uh, a teacher and then obviously through administration, you've seen a huge change in the school district because I think, man, EC Mason was the only school in Manville at the Mm -hmm. time that I remember was there any other schools? And now I look at the same schools that are in Alvin or in Alvin, but there's 20 other schools. Right. I, there's so I, many I might be exaggerating there. a little yeah, bit, no. but there's a lot more schools. It, right. Past. So it was E.C. Mason, and then I believe Don Jeter mm-hmm. was built out there, and then Mary Merrick. And they were out in the middle of, I don't say Rice, Rice Fields. fields but, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and 288 was just being built. You know, it wasn't uh, yeah. heavily traveled like it is now. So, yes, I was with the district as we've grown and built schools and been on naming committees and gone to, you know, grand openings or sure. dedications and things. So it's been wonderful. A lot of our staff from Alvin uh, proper or from the schools that were in Alvin opened those schools, and some of them are still there. Um John Matula, you know, from ACC, his wife okay. helped open uh, Mary Merrick Elementary, and she is actually still teaching at Mary Merrick Elementary. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. So, I mean, we still have a, quite a few of our staff who are still at the schools when they opened. They helped um, yeah. build the culture out there. And I, I would say, we say there's change, but the people are the same, right? It's right. all about relationships yeah. and community and building yeah. that academic excellence culture yeah and that's been something that's been amazing to me is seeing as the school grew i mean 
again in 20 school district grow in 20 ish years i would say it doubled but i also don't know the numbers it seems to me as if it's doubled but yet there's still like you mentioned the mm-hmm. culture how, before superintendent life how do you think that culture stayed that way right it could have gotten lost it could have gotten lost as the school schools right. doubled and tripled and how do you think alvin isd maintained that culture over this rapid growth i would call rapid growth I think a lot of it has to do with the leaders on the campus, the principals trying to keep uh, the staffs together and connected. And then also through our professional learning um, model, which our academic teams um, design and develop, we bring our staffs together for trainings and things. So it really makes them feel connected versus doing, you know, that's the one thing I do kind of worry is we've done a lot of things virtually now and people have gotten comfortable with not having to go in-person training I'm, I'm looking forward to people coming back together because that's when you really collaborate and a lot Absolutely. of ideas are shared. Sure. And and I've noticed that on some of the virtual meetings, people don't participate as much as they would if they were in person. It's easy not to participate. Right. Right. To be easily distracted by other. Well, let's jump back just a little bit. You said you started teaching, I think you said 87, 89, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. So that's around the time that I was graduating high school. I went to Pearland. Uh, we forgive him for that. I know. I'm but feeling come old on, people. now. No, no, no. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> just do. So I know when, when I was young and Pearland started developing 288, we never expected to see what we see now. So how does the district plan for something like that where it, it seems to be a surprise to everyone that it exploded like it did? So our demographics we we have a company that we work with templeton demographics and they do the projections based on permitting and things of that nature so having to have that foresight and plan right ahead and you know of course the bonds that we have to plan for because schools we need seats yeah, for kids yeah. people move yeah. here they want schools and so just planning and in purposeful planning is what i long-range planning and working with demographics right we're, we'll take a break in a second and dive into the superintendent side. But the thing I'm curious about for you, too, is when you went from teaching to administration, did, did it was it campus administration or was mm-hmm. it? So, yes. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people understand what an assistant principal does or principal. I say that in theory, they understand what that role is. But I don't think a lot of people understand the nuances of school administration, the whole district administration. As a whole, yeah. When you made that leap. What was that like for you to kind of go from campus level to school-wide? So when I moved from principal to, I moved into a human resources and, you know, I had applied for an opening and uh, was blessed to have gotten that job. And I will say it's probably been one of the most rewarding, but one of the most difficult because you deal with human behavior and you, (laughs) you deal with people that maybe taught your kids, but didn't make such a good choice (laughs) and you're having to... But I think in human resources, as long as you treat people with respect and dignity, regardless of if you're having to correct behaviors or hire new people, that's right. an exciting thing is to go to job fairs and brand new teachers are excited about, you know, getting in the classroom and recruiting and things of that nature. So on that side, it was fun with the recruiting on the other side of correcting human behavior. That's the difficult side. But sure. as far as a district we had to project all the new school openings, personnel hirings, how uh, many right. units were gonna, they were going to need uh, for high schools. You know, you have all your extracurriculars, all your special yeah. areas. So yeah. just on that, um, I think that human resources uh, experience really has lended me 
well in the superintendency because I've dealt with lots of different, you know, facets of planning to open sure. the schools or future planning, budgeting, those types of things. When you started all of this 30 years ago and you made that leap to administration, did you see yourself being superintendent or no. did you have another goal? No. <laughs> so, so the more you get to know me, I'm happy wherever I am with whatever I'm doing. I, I'm a firm believer in God leads me to whatever his next plan is for me. So, you know, if it's in God's plans, it'll happen. So I never started in education. All I ever wanted to do was teach kids and be with kids. And so I think that connection in the superintendency has been for myself, a challenge to make sure I stay connected to kids. So right. I got a, um, a group of students together on each one of my high school campuses and I call it my superintendent advisory. Oh. And I actually meet with them several times throughout the year and I want to hear their voice. I want to yeah. hear what's going on. What is it that we're not doing? What is it that we are doing that you like? What can we do for you? And a lot of times it's, being an advocate between my office and the principal's office. Sure. It's like, we want this, but we can't. Well, have you set up a meeting? Go talk to your print, you know, oh. just trying to help yeah. and teach them how when, when you want something changed or you want something different, advocate, set up meetings, talk about it, just teaching them. It's okay. The principal's not here and you're here. It's You right. need to communicate. It's your yeah. school. So um, just celebrating students in, yeah. in and you look to make an impact when you were teaching students, but now that you're an administrator and you're a superintendent, uh, the impact is still there, but it's got to be a little different for you, right? Right. It's not It's not the direct, you know, I, I equate it to somebody who works in an emergency room. They go in, they treat people, they send them home, they can see the end result at the end of the day. Whereas something like you're doing, it may be years before you see the end result. So I get very excited when I'm at graduation, and I even attend it when I wasn't a superintendent, right? I get excited to see former students graduate or uh, play a ball game or play in the band or whatever it is. Like, I, I feel like I'm their mom. I just uh, get okay. so excited. Sometimes they look at me and go, now, who are you? And like, I was your principal. What Don't you bride. remember me? I had such an impact on your life. And they're like, no. Wow. <laughs> It's students but, like, you know, that, that kind of puts things in perspective. Of, right. You know, no, most kids you. don't yeah. know who their principal is. But. That's a good thing. Unless you were like <laughs> right. me, and then you did know the principal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. And, and so let's dig into a little bit about what okay. it takes to be a superintendent. But first, let's take a break for our sponsors. Hey, everyone. It's your friendly neighborhood realtor, Parker White with New Villa Realty. It's not a secret. The real estate market is red hot right now. Whether you have a dream of becoming a homeowner, your family's growing, and you need more room, or if you're an empty nester, I got you covered. New Villa Realty specializes in helping our clients achieve their real estate goals through a stress-free process and open communication 24-7. You will never be left in the dark, and I will be there with you for any questions you may have. Connect with me today so we can sit down and get you where you want to be. My phone number is 281-678-1811 or email me at Parker at Nuvilla Realty, N-U-V-I-L-L-A dot com. I would love to meet you. I'm Jamie Scafidi, President and CEO of the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber of Commerce exists to provide support to businesses and organizations in the Alvin and Manville area. With various networking and marketing opportunities every month, the Chamber can help you grow your business. Learn more at alvinmanvillechamber.org. 
Hey, we want to take a quick moment and tell you a little bit about 1820 Marketing, the producers of this podcast. We believe that when businesses have quality marketing, it gives business owners the freedom to focus on what they do best. We design websites, produce videos, and create marketing materials that help clients grow their business. Find out more at 1820marketing.com. It's something different. And now back to the show. So you've been a superintendent now for a couple of years. We'll get into the fun that you got right as you started with uh, the pandemic, but you with all the fun started the process. I believe uh, the bond had been passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Bucket announces retirement. Right. What, what informed your decision to even apply for it? Because I think that a lot of people could look at it and go, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, like, like you said, you're, right. you were content was, wherever you were. Yes. You were content, but yet you also took the shot to mm-hmm. apply. So what was it that went into that? So uh, Buck, Dr. Gilcrease had um, told like leadership that he would be retiring before the bond, right? He had told us. So we knew. So we were even more actively involved in the bond and the presentations. Dr. Combs, myself, and several of the other district leaders went out and did presentations. And so we were, we're all about Alvin ISD. It's not about one person. It's not just about me. It's not just about Dr. Gilcrease. It's, it's truly the organization. So we took the show on the road, giving information to different groups and Anyone who would listen, you know, we gave them the information of why we needed the bond. And so moving forward after that, when he did announce his retirement, I'm not sure if he announced it right before the bond election or right after, but once he announced his retirement, then of course there's all speculation of who's going to get it, who's going to go for it. Oh, we're going to get somebody from outside. They're not going to know our district. You know, you just get all of that chatter, but you stay focused on your job, which is what... I tried to do, right? But I had several people reach out and say, you should put your name in the hat. You should apply. You should. And before that, I hadn't really even thought about it. But when you have people that you have been your mentors or other community uh, people that reach out to you, your staff, I mean, staff from different campuses, other superintendents, um, you start looking and saying, okay, well, maybe I should do this, you know? Yeah. And so a lot of prayer, a lot of um, conversations with my family, because it, it truly does become your life. It's a 24-hour job, 365 days yeah. a year, even when you're on vacation, unless you don't get soul service. And I've not been anywhere since that because <laughs> yeah. of the pandemic, right? But um, just knowing that the team that was still in place was such a strong team like you saw today. I talked mm-hmm. about our buildings program, maintenance, our finance. Well, at the time, our finance person wasn't Dr. Combs. I can tell you another story about that. But um, just the team in place was such a strong team that I thought, what do I have to lose? If this is God's plan, you know, I'll put my name in. I prepared. I felt like if I don't get it, I love what I'm doing. Hopefully whoever gets it will leave me where I am and I'll continue to serve in that capacity. And then it, it, it happened for me. And, um, I don't want to say it just happened. I mean, interview process is pretty strenuous and a lot of, uh, preparation Mm -hmm. and, you know, knowing about a lot of different areas of the district and not just, um, people think it's just about teaching and it's not, I mean, there's the financial side, there's the building program side and, well, so that kind of leads to my next question, which is what what do you consider the primary job of the superintendent? And for anyone out there that's going to complain, 
Yeah, she knows that there's more than one role. <laughs> but I, I think it's to be an advocate for public education for students to get a quality, excellent education. That's my job is to make sure we serve all kids, not just kids like my kids, but everybody's kids. Whoever lives in our district deserves to have the same um, accessibility to great education. And so I'm pretty passionate about students who are uh, economically disadvantaged. That's probably my biggest passion because I feel like that's probably the biggest divider is if uh, it's it's the economic side for a student. Yeah. Which has got to be difficult considering the pandemic hit. And there's a lot of students that immediately had to start doing stuff from home that didn't have the resources to do so. So how did the district handle making sure that everybody had access to that education? So, um, of course, my kids had graduated, but I'll just use my kids. My kids, we would have been able to get them a computer. We had internet access. Even though we live in the county, it's spotty sometimes. But we would have done everything within our means to get the availability. What we did as a district was to find students who needed hotspots, computers, Mm -hmm. whatever we could get in the hands of of those students to make sure that they had the same resources that other students had. So that was our first call. Then we ordered lots of computers, but everything was on back order. We couldn't get them in. Because every other district is doing the same thing. Everyone was doing the same thing. And so that was the goal was to make sure that every kid had connectivity. Even giving some kids hotspots, they still didn't have connectivity. They still didn't have the ability to connect. Wow. And then at the rate that we needed to download videos, whatever it was that we needed for, exactly. Um, that was another challenge. Even at my house, my daughter, who was in vet school, came home during that time and sure. she said, I got to go back to my apartment because I can't get videos to download here wow. to watch. So, yeah. yeah, but download and then uploading it as well. Can you take us a little bit to the moment, not even necessarily the moment, but I remember my son was in eighth grade uh, when it everything shut when down. When he went on spring break? Yeah, when he went on spring break. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, and that's the question. Is it Six months spring break. I remember kind of being warned, hey, plan on maybe not coming back immediately after spring break. What was that like? Because I don't take the joke out of the fact mm-hmm. that you didn't really get a spring break, but also the decision that had to be made, it's not an easy decision. I know just knowing you even peripherally, it's mm-hmm. not something you took lightly. What went into that obviously you have uh, experts and medical and everything else kind of helping, helping you inform it. But ultimately you were the one for Alvin ISD making the decision with the board Mm -hmm. and everything. But so I think um, of course, first and foremost, safety of our students was important. And a lot of people, we didn't know what was going to happen. Even the medical experts were speculating at the time we had information coming in from every direction we had, Daily phone calls with the Commissioner of Education, daily phone calls with Region 4 superintendents, daily phone calls and meetings with our Brazoria County superintendents. And then some of us jumped into Galveston County because we just want it all to be on the same. So this was every day, even Sundays, we were doing this for a couple of months. And it seemed like we'd hang on, we'd make a plan, and then we'd get on the phone with TEA and they would change something on us. So we'd all be like, oh. We have to pivot this away. And then we'd get back on, and then a medical, something would come out that they'd learn more about this virus, and then we'd have to change. So it was just not getting rattled about anything, just staying calm and being flexible and knowing that 
we took all of our information in and made the best decision at the time that we knew. Of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, but sure. at that time, um, I think I was in my second year of superintendency. Um, I had superintendents who'd been superintendents for twenty years calling me. What are y'all doing in Alvin? What y'all have this plan? Y'all have to, and I credit my academic team as well as my operational team as. We met every day for hours to really plan of what we thought at the time was the best plan, knowing that not everyone would agree. And I remember telling my board president, Earl Humberg, it doesn't matter what we decide, what our final decision on bringing kids back, 50% are not going to be happy and 50% are. And so it's, you know, you hate to say it was a lose-lose because everybody had a different opinion. Oh, sure. Um, I had to turn the TV off. because of um, information that was being put out that we were getting different information from medical professionals, but then the media was interpreting their, sure, or putting their the spin on it. medical professionals. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> it was hard because people are at home watching it, but yet you're making a decision based on what the medical professionals were saying, and it wasn't aligning, and you're like, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And and you're making these decisions for 27,000 students, right? right? So that's a a big weight on your shoulders, right? So so how do you deal with that pressure? Knowing that you have a good team around you, you guys are making the right decisions, but you have other people calling, so really you're affecting probably more than that 27,000. So I'm going to go back to my faith. Got me through a lot of it. Faith and family and just the support of, of the colleagues I was working with at the time and knowing that... Every decision we made, we felt like we were making in the best interest for all versus a small group. Yeah, I, I think that's important. And, and I would say that's what I felt was that while it might not always been the best for our son in our particular mm-hmm. situation, I could at least look and go, As okay, I get it. it. This is right. what's best for county, you know, students right. who live in the county, like you said, who don't necessarily have the best internet. I live right by the high school, so... Like we're downtown Alvin, we're mm-hmm. good, but yeah, you know, and I hope everyone understood that even if they were angry and they got on Facebook and they typed their little comments well, behind the keyboard, hopefully at the end of the day, they understood that you're having to make a decision for a large population of right. people. Um, well, and the other thing is we still, I still have uh bi-monthly calls with the health department, uh, Brazoria County Health Department, as well as Harris County Health Department and uh, Harris County, my calls, Region 4, deal. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Callender, which is CEO of Memorial Hermann. Oh, yeah. We have um, another doctor from Method. So there's people on our calls. Well, there's Zoom meetings, actually, yeah. face-to-face Zoom. We're getting up-to-date information of what's going on in the medical center and what their recommendations are. Now, we know that Harris County is a little different than Brazoria County. <laughs> Judge Sebastian and, yes. and Kathy, the director down there, they've been so supportive in, in giving us whatever information they have. So they're still, twice a month, we're on those calls sure. monitoring. You mentioned a while ago that you just finished giving a speech or talking to the state of education. So... There is a lot of students that are not attending school right now that are still doing virtual. I know when you talked in that meeting, you got excited about all of the events that are coming back and people coming together because you mentioned that it's community. What would you say to those that have made the decision for their students not to come back and they're continuing to remain virtual? How do you keep them included? What would you say to them if you were talking to them directly? So they're still receiving all the communication through the district, like 
let's say they attend Mary Merrick Elementary, they're still getting all the communication that every student at Mary Merrick is getting. Um, so that's important to stay connected. Uh, if they're not being successful, we did ask for them or require them to come back face-to-face. Um, I think it's a parent's decision. Um, as much as we want them back face-to-face, because we know that especially with our elementary students, a lot of um, what's taught is in person because of, um, I don't know, when you're teaching reading, a lot of it is facial expressions, cues that you give. Uh, With math, being able to really sit with a student and step-by-step and see, it's just hard to explain if you're not, you know. No, I understand being in person and proximity, zone proximity is what we say in teaching, okay. a student will learn so much better than on a computer screen because they're easily distracted. As adults, we're e- easily distracted when we're at home. So I think it's a parent's choice. Going forward next year, we haven't made the decision. We, we're we in the background planning for a virtual academy, but if the state says they're not going to fund it, we can't afford right. to sure. put uh, personnel resources toward that. We did do a survey. Uh, we had low um, interest in virtual academy right now. So okay. um, as of right now, if I had to say today, we probably wouldn't offer it because of the interest level for the virtual academy. Yeah. Gotcha. We'll just have to make that call probably within the next couple of weeks. Yeah, there, There's still lots of information to take in and stuff. So, yeah, no, we, uh, we really appreciate you sitting down with, especially after just getting up and giving a presentation to a room full of people <laughs> for, um, for an hour. Yes. For an hour. <laughs> and, um, I'm, I'm glad that we didn't just ask you the same questions. You got to talk about other stuff as well. So, um, we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show. And thanks to Heights Baptist church for letting us come in and record to learn more about them. Visit heightschurch.org. Also, thank you to our listeners creating community with Dorian and Jake. It's available wherever you get your podcasts or at 1820marketing.com slash podcast. This podcast is produced by 1820 Marketing. For show notes, visit 1820marketing.com slash podcast. You just know what we're going for.